it right away, and the rest of you will as soon as you get there. It's a familiar passage, and it's one that we know, but it's one that is so difficult to, to live every day in our lives. And I think so often that is a challenge for us. Whenever we're looking at God's Word, and particularly the teachings of Jesus, Often it's not hard for us to understand what's being said, but it's so difficult for us to live them and apply them as fully as Jesus wants us to. So what I want to do tonight is I want us to pick up reading here in this story, and I'm going to read through the parable, and then we're going to notice some things about the text and talk about that for a little bit, and then how we can apply this specifically to our lives. Okay, so look with me in Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 25. And it reads, And behold, a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? He answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that, that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. So a lawyer stands up to Jesus and he wants to put him to the test. And so he asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And so Jesus, instead of answering the question, he turns it back on the lawyer. And he said, listen, you study the law. You know the law. What does it read? What does it say to you? And the man says, love. Love God and love others. Does that surprise anyone that the... Summation of the law can be summed up so simply in that one word, love. You think about the first five books of the Old Testament are dedicated to the law that God gave the people of Israel to live. 
And yet, the lawyer accurately, as Jesus tells him, sums up the law in this word, love. We're to first love God, and then as an outgrowth of that, if we love God, we're going to love our neighbor who is created in God's image. And Jesus says to him, you're absolutely right. He says, you've answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. One more thing uh, on love in, um, in light of the whole law that I think is so interesting. We were talking today in Galatians chapter 5 in the class that's down here. Um, we were talking about one of the examples where Paul mentions love um, in light of this command. He talks about this command. We're to love God and we're to love our brother. But he doesn't even say the part that we're to love God. He only says, love your neighbor as yourself. And you see, a lot of times in the New Testament, you see it quoted that way. And it's so interesting that if we're loving our neighbor as ourselves, it's just assumed that we're loving God. Because there's no other reason that we would do that. There's no other reason that we would love the way Jesus loved unless we love God first and foremost. Think about 1 John 1, uh, 1 John 3, I believe it is, when John writes that we can't love our brother whom we have seen if we do not love God who we have not seen. And so if we're loving our neighbor, then of course we are loving God and vice versa. But in verse 29, the lawyer desires to justify himself and he says, who is my neighbor? Now, I think it's important for us to understand that this is a really good question that the lawyer asks. Who is my neighbor? This is a clarifying question. This is a good question to understand more deeply what Jesus is saying. But the reason he asks it, his motives are not pure. You notice there in that verse... Desiring to justify himself, he asks Jesus, who is my neighbor? And this brings up an important question for us. Whenever we are studying God's word, we want to understand what God says to us. What is the reason that we're studying God's word? Are we looking for a reason to do what we want to do in our lives? Are we looking, we've already made up our minds, right? And we want to live this way, and we want to do this. And so, you know, here we go. We can just flip through here in our Bibles, and we can find, oh, okay, you know, here we go. I can live this way because of what God says. Are we doing that? Or are we allowing ourselves to be shaped and challenged and motivated by what's in God's Word? And letting it change us and letting it get to our heart. And that's the reason we ask questions. That's the reason we study God's Word, in order to let it change us. And that's difficult, because we're wrong a lot. And it's hard to come to grips with. But that's why we study. And so, it's, this is a good question that he asks, but he's doing so to justify himself. Okay? But Jesus replies to it. He asks him the question, in verse 29 again, Who is my neighbor? Jesus doesn't just answer in a couple of words. He tells him this parable. 
So he tells him a parable about this man that we just read. He falls among robbers. It's a terrible situation. He's going to die. He needs some help. The first man that comes by is a priest. Perfect. You know, this is great. There's a priest. He's headed down from Jerusalem. And he is going to be able to help this man. But when he comes up to the man, the text says he sees him. And he walks around on the other side. He avoids the man that needs his help. But thankfully, it's not too long before a Levite comes along. And again, he comes up to where the man is, and he sees the man, and he chooses to walk around the man and pass on. But then there is a Samaritan who is on a journey. Now, something stood out to me in reading this. And when when I say this, I I don't know if the Greek backs this up. I'm strictly an English scholar. Um, I'm trying to, I've started trying to learn Greek. I'm on on lesson five of the book. Um, There's a lot of nouns. I'm I'm telling you, it's how many things could there be, you know? But anyway, so when when I say this, take this with a grain of salt. This is just from the English text. But you notice, let's, let's go back up to verse 31. By chance, a priest was going down the road. No specific mention of why he's going down the road. He's just walking along, okay? Uh, and then in verse 32, the Levite just passed by the place where this Samaritan was. But when you notice the Samaritan, excuse me, this man who needed his help was, this hurt man was, the Levite was just happening to be passing by. But the Samaritan, it specifically says that he is journeying. He is on a journey. And I, I can't help but think maybe there's a significance to that. It, it seems like he, he's got a purpose for where he's going. He's, maybe he's got a time that he's expected to be where he's going. He's headed somewhere, and he needs to get there. And that's, gonna, that's evidence, too, at the end of the reading. When he has to go ahead and leave the man at the end, saying that he'll be back later, but he has to go on. So maybe he's headed somewhere specifically where he's got a little bit of a time limit, and yet still he stops and he takes care of this man. It's not convenient, it's not the right time, but he sees someone who needs his help and he comes. And, and service, by the way, by definition, is never convenient. You are making yourself a slave to someone for their benefit. It's never going to be convenient. It's always going to be hard. And so we can't ever be looking for the right time to serve someone. And so this Samaritan takes time out of his journey to help this man who needs him. And notice that he is giving him all that he needs from from what he's brought with him. The Samaritan uses his own oil and wine, his own provisions. He puts him on his own animal, presumably. Now, he has to walk the rest of the way inside this man. 
he gets there to the inn, and he takes care of him through the night. And even the next day, as he goes on, he says, I've got to go on, but here's two more denarii. Use them to help this man, and whatever more you spend, I'll reimburse you for that as well. He goes above and beyond. Even if the Samaritan had just taken time out of his day, bound up his wounds, cleaned them, and said, you know, hope that helps you be on your way. Even that would have been service. But he goes above and beyond, gets him to a position where he can be well taken care of. And so Jesus asks him, Jesus finishes this parable, and then he asks the lawyer a question. And I know all of us are familiar with this story. But I want us to think here, if we didn't know the question that Jesus asks, and if we hadn't just read it, and so we've already given it away here. Um, but what would you expect the question to be that Jesus asks? I would expect it to be something like uh, drawing attention to the fact that this man is the one who needed help. The hurt man is the one who needed help. You know, he's the neighbor. Help him. Uh, something that would draw attention to that fact. But instead, the question Jesus asks is a little different than that. He sort of flips the question, and he doesn't ask it in the way that I would think he would. But instead, he says, which of these three men was a neighbor to the man who needed help? And I think there's an important distinction about the answer that you come to when you think about it this way. Because it's very personal now. Which one of these was the neighbor? Which one of these chose in his heart to be a servant? Which one of these took out of his day time and resources to help this person? And he said, well, the one who had compassion on him and took care of him, that was the neighbor. And so Jesus said to him, you go be the neighbor. Quit asking who is my neighbor, and instead you be the neighbor. Prepare your heart to be the servant so that whoever you come across who needs your help, you're ready. Because that's your mindset of being a servant. You go be the neighbor. I love the character arc of the lawyer throughout this story. It's really exciting. At the beginning of the chapter, or not at the beginning of the chapter, but in verse 25, when he comes to Jesus, he comes to Jesus and asks him this question because he wants to test Jesus. But then in verse 29... Once he gets that answer, he wants to justify himself. But then, at the end of the section, he answers the question that Jesus asked him correctly, and he understands with his heart what Jesus is asking him to do. It's, it's no longer about him justifying himself or him testing Jesus, but it's about him realizing that he needs to have a change of heart. And to specifically seek out opportunities to serve. 
So how do we apply this to our lives? And, and here's the thing, too, is there are so many ways to serve. And there are so many, all of us are, are going to have different opportunities to serve and different strengths to be able to pursue those opportunities. And so the way that we serve is going to be different. But what are some ways that we can prepare ourselves to be ready to serve? That we can have a heart of service? First of all, something that we've already talked about. It starts with the fact that we love God. That's the root of everything. That's the root of the whole law, as we saw previously from the lawyer's answer. We love God, then we're going to love the way He loves. If we love God, we're going to love like Jesus loved. Jesus, God come in the flesh, lowered Himself to be our slave and our servant so that we could be saved. And that is... That's what we're to imitate. That's the way we're to serve. And so if we begin with the fact that we love God, then we have a reason to serve. I stated earlier, I really can't, I really can't imagine why you would, you would serve others the way Jesus did if you didn't love God. If you didn't have that as a foundation, there's just... There's, there's no con- conceivable reason why you would put yourself through pain and, and, and struggling and sometimes just simply inconvenience for other people. But when we want God, we're ready to make those sacrifices. So we have to love God. And secondly, we have to prepare to serve. Now, you know, usually this is more mental. Preparation to be ready to serve. Sometimes we may we may know of an opportunity that's coming up and we can prepare and physically in some way. But every day, what we have to do is we have to decide that we're going to look for opportunities to serve, and we're going to look to be a servant. One thing that you notice about this story uh, of the Good Samaritan is that he was just going about his day normally and came upon an opportunity to serve. He didn't have to go looking for it specifically. It came to him, and he made his mind up that he was going to take that opportunity as a case. And that's how we need to be. We may not always be actively looking for those opportunities, but in our daily life, they're going to come up. And what are we going to do when we have that opportunity well, if we don't prepare, we're not going to take it. Because what happens is, is we're busy, right? And the day is, is really getting away from us. And we've got five or six things to do at the end of the day. And we really just haven't gotten around to this. And we haven't talked to this person. And we've needed to do this for three months. And we haven't. And, and so, you know, the end of the day comes. And all of a sudden, you're presented with this opportunity that is inconvenient. But you need to help this person. In all likelihood, you're not going to take that opportunity. Because you haven't made up your mind that you're going to inconvenience yourself for others. But if at the beginning of each day, you decide that if something comes up today, I want to serve. Then no matter what comes up, if it's, if it's something little, if somebody just needs to talk to you, and you need to listen, they need somebody to listen to them. 
Or maybe it's something big. Somebody needs a place to stay for a few weeks. You're ready for that opportunity. You're excited for that opportunity because it gives you a chance to love the way God loves us. And you're prepared for that opportunity because you've made up your mind that you're going to take it. Write down this verse. Leviticus 19, verses 9 and 10. I want this verse to contemplate on for, for this, this reason about preparing to serve. This passage is about the Israelites um, planting their fields. And when they would plant their fields, they would keep in mind that the edges of their fields were not theirs. The edges of their fields were to be given to the poor and to the sojourner in their, in their land. And so the whole time, they're, you know, they're planting and, and they know that these edges of this, this field is not mine. It's somebody else's. It's whoever needs it. It's theirs. And they're, they're reaping, they don't reap that because they know that that's not theirs. That's for somebody else who needs it. And so they've already prepared this part of their field that they're going to give to somebody else. So when somebody comes to them and they knock on their door and they say, look, we need some food, they don't have to sit there and try to decide, do we have enough food to give up? They've already made that decision. They've already set aside this food to give to these people. And so these corners of their field are already set up for someone else to come and take and eat. What a beautiful picture of how we can be as well how we can prepare the edges of our fields in our lives to be ready to give to other people. We can go ahead and set aside things in our lives that we're going to give to other people. Maybe that's time. Maybe that's resources. Whatever we have, let's think about how we can go ahead and set that aside to use that for somebody else. And that may change from week to week, from day to day. But that mindset of preparing to give is so good because so often we miss opportunities to give and to, to serve because we're too focused on what we need to get done that day or whatever it may be and so we miss those opportunities. But if we prepare the edges of our field, the edges of our time, the excess of our money, then we're going to be willing to give it to other people because we've already made that Okay? Love God. Prepare ahead of time to serve. And then third, third, we want to consider what we have, not our own. We as humans are so, from the youngest of ages, are so concerned about possessions and who owns them. Uh, it's either mine or it's yours. But it's somebody's, and that affects how we can use it. You know, you can't have this because it's mine, you know, or I can't use that because it's yours. And we're very caught up with, with what's ours and our ownership and protecting those things. But we shouldn't be, because everything we have is a gift from God. I'm going to use a uh, silly illustration here. But say someone gives you a toaster, right? And you appreciate that thought. That's a great thought. 
I love to have a toaster on hand, but I already have one. So I don't need two toasters. I have a surplus of toasters, right? And so an opportunity comes up where somebody needs one, and so I give away, I re-gift that toaster. And that's an exciting thing, because we didn't have to buy it in the first place. You gotta be careful about this, okay? We didn't have to buy it in the first place, but we get to give it to someone else because they needed it more. And that's the same thing that we can do with all of our possessions. Because they were never ours to start with. We didn't have to purchase them. But God gave them to us. And so why wouldn't we want to re-gift them? Why wouldn't we want to pass them along to someone who might need them more? Another passage to write down here is Acts 4. Uh, verses 32-37. This is a beautiful passage about how the congregation there in the book of Acts was such a community that they just gave to each other constantly. Uh, one verse in that section says that no one counted what he had as his own. And they all shared freely among themselves so that nobody had any need. What a beautiful thought. Nobody considered what they had to be their own. And so there's just this community of sharing. Everybody's passing everything that they have back and forth. Because it's, it's not mine. God gave it to me. So here, you use it. If we can get to the point, and, and this, is, this is a lifelong struggle, I think, to think in this way. But if we can get to that point where we don't consider our possessions to be ours, but just gifts and resources that are given to us by God that we can turn around and give to someone else, how easy, how much easier is that to give? Because it's not mine in the first place. God has lent it to me, and we need to be good stewards of that. We can pass that on to somebody else. So love God. Prepare ahead of time for ways that you can serve. And then, don't even think about the things that you have as being yours. But think about them as being gifts from God that we can use for other people. You remember when Jesus came to the man at the beginning? Excuse me, other way around. Remember when the lawyer came to Jesus at the beginning of, of this section? He asked him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Sometimes I lose track that this section is, this is about attaining eternal life. When we love God and we care for others, God is going to remember that. Think about the great judgment scene in Matthew 25, when Jesus has the sheep and the goats on his right and on his left. And he says to the sheep, he says, you saw me naked and hungry and thirsty, etc., etc., and you gave me what I needed in that time. And he says to the goats, you saw me in need of all of these things, but you didn't give to me in that. And both the sheep and the goats respond and say, what do you mean? We, 
we, we never saw you like this. We never saw you needing these things. We didn't give these things to you. What are you talking about? And he said, just as you have done it to the least of me, you've done it to me. When we serve our brother, it is as if we're doing that to Jesus. Jesus remembers that. And those things will be brought up on Judgment Day. Our choices of our heart to serve or not to serve will be remembered. And I know that I don't do a good enough job of that. Serving selflessly, preparing my heart to be ready to give and to serve. Jesus says, just as much as a cold cup of water given in my name's sake, will not be forgotten. So this week, you go be the neighbor. Let's pray together. Lord God of heaven and earth, we are so thankful for what you've done for us. You've given us all that we have, and we pray that you would help us to be like the Good Samaritan who served the, the person that he came across who needed help. Give us the strength, give us the selflessness to love as you have loved and to give ourselves for others. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Jesus, as we've talked about, has given himself for you and for me he has humbled himself to the point of death on the cross. And if you have not been saved, and you have not accepted the salvation that he has died for you to have, and we can help you with that at this time, please come forward as we stand and say. Thirty-three instruments of your peace. Lord, make us instruments.